0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Part of Our Fabric. Today, I'm having a repeat conversation. This is the second time we've had this guy in the house. It's Nick Anarino, Associate Professor of Health Communications at U of M Dearborn. Nick, how are you today? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing great. It is great to see you back inside the Fleece and Thank You Fort for another awesome conversation. I'm excited. Excited to be back. Thanks for having me back. Of course, of course. So we all like to laugh, right? I mean, we love we all love to laugh, right? And laughing makes you feel better. Today, we're going to talk about humor and the power of humor. Now, Nick, you've been doing a little bit of work around this topic, haven't mm-hmm. you? Tell yeah. us about that.
1: Yeah. So this is actually probably my first research interest. Um, so I've been doing research since about 2009, 2010. Um, and I, I think I mentioned before in the other episode that I'm from a family of healthcare providers and um, It's just always been something that's that's interested me, this this idea of, um, especially when you're going through a really difficult time, how, you know, why, first of all, people use humor to kind of cope with it and the ways in which it does help us and in our relationships as well. So, um, like, my mom's a former emergency room nurse, um, and she had really bad burnout for a while, Um, and so her and her friends who worked in the emergency room just used to, like, Tell, tell some pretty dark jokes, um, mm. uh, you know, and, and really, I feel like it helped him cope with it. And But from an outside perspective, it's kind of like, wow, how could he joke with that? And, you know, eventually grew up and just really enjoyed stand up comedy and funny movies and sitcoms and just kind of comedians in general. And I was always fascinated by the use of humor and talking about, you know, tragedy or just like their own personal experiences with illness that you know, to older generations or to people who, you know, growing up, I never saw adults really joke about this kind of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's kind of, that was kind of my way in.
0: If you had to set a baseline for humor, what, what is humor? How do we define humor just to give us all the same foundation in this conversation?
1: That's a great question. Um, so I think one of the first, actually, one of the reasons why I I really jumped into this research too, is because I found a definition that made a lot of sense to me. And there are like so many different theories and, And definitions of humor and the one that I like the best and I think still rings the most true to me is it's from this theory called surprise liberation theory and surprise uh, surprise liberation liberation yeah so like builds on like some stuff that has existed in the past but it has its own little kind of twist on it and so it basically says that we start out with you know we all have these like expectations we all have these like uh, preconceived notions about the world and how things operate and then when we experience like a deviation from those expectations that is surprising, obviously, but it's, it has to be surprising in a way that like liberates us. Yeah. Right. Because you could be walking down the street and see, you know, like a very sweet old lady or something. And like, you know, something very terrible happened to her. And that's obviously surprising, but not it's threatening still. Right. So Mm -hmm. we, it's the sense of, you know, wow, life is not actually how we think it's going to be, especially when you're like, you know, the situation's threatening or nerve wracking or something and something kind of dif- different happens that we weren't expecting. It could be really liberating. Um, so we have these things called thresholds, you know, and, and if we exceed those thresholds, if something is too threatening or if it's not like if it's very mundane or something, you know, if, like someone asked us what time it is on the bus or something right? Like that, like that that's, it might be a surprise, but it's not something to like make us liberated from right. something. But so that was kind of like, you know, especially in the case of, of illness or in like doctor patient communication. And, you know, a lot of times when we go to the doctor, we're kind of uncomfortable. We're in a situation yeah. where maybe we, um, you know, we, we sense a power difference. We're in our, our underwear sitting on this table. I think Jerry Seinfeld called it like a like the butcher paper. Uh, <laughs> you, you kind of sit in your underwear and, and a gown and stuff and you're waiting on this person to come in. And, you know, especially if you don't have this relationship where you've known the doctor mm-hmm. for a long time and something funny happens. And I'm not talking like a Patch Adams like joke where they come like in wearing like a red rubber nose or like bedpans for shoes or something like that. But like there's some sense of humor or, or some statement that is related to the situation that's at hand, right? Like maybe you joke about the type of uh, of illness and we can go through a couple examples in the future and stuff, but like that could be particularly um, relieving, just, just kind of pop the air out of the balloon. And, and, and it's been shown to lead to better um, rapport and trust between doctors and patients, um, a sense of, you know, like humanizing a person as mm-hmm. opposed to making, you know, because a lot of times when you go to the doctor, you know, healthcare providers see a lot of patients in one in in, in one shift even. Um, There's pressures to get, you know, patients through really fast so that we can keep the lights on, pay the bills and stuff, and can be pretty dehumanizing. And, and humor is something that can make uh, your patients more identifiable, make sure that they, you know, you remember that they're human, they stick out in your memory a little bit more. And um, it's been shown to lead to kind of better effects in that way.
0: Yeah, incredible. Mm-hmm. What is it about humor that builds the rapport and why is humor kind of associated in some ways with more like comfort
1: yeah I don't know I I think like that theory that I described kind of um, sums it up a little bit like in, in terms of like relieving the tension and uh, there's been research that shows that people who use humor are considered more endearing mm-hmm. um, and th- therefore those people get a lot more social support during really difficult situations I don't know I, I think sometimes and maybe you know Nick you and I are like probably similar age and I think in our generation, it's been something that, you know, quote unquote millennials have used for a long time to cope. And mm-hmm. I think we see def- de- definitely different generations using humor differently. And, um, and I don't know, I, I think I think it's it's easier in some ways to talk about difficult subjects. Um, we have definitely a lot of taboos in society about, especially in, in guys not wanting to be seen as like whiny or like admit that you're scared or, or nervous or something. And um, it's kind of a playful way to test the waters in some yeah. ways, or even to complain about certain stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite kind of, she was definitely like my, my academic crush. She's she's the woman who came up with that theory. She wrote a <laughs> book in 1998 that I used a lot for my my thesis, and 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 I just actually just reread it for a piece that just came out today. Um, but she uh, called it's called. Uh, so this this piece was fr- part of a bigger book. Um. I can't remember what it's called. It, it it just came out today, but it was um, t- basically taking healthcare providers, having them write about their experiences using humor in a patient setting. And they had uh, researchers like myself kind of come in and respond and write longer entries based on this this uh, this narrative that they wrote. Yeah, wow. Um, so anyway, the, the, and I can get back to that in, in, a, in a second. This book that I read had, um, uh, she, she basically followed along healthcare providers in three different healthcare settings. So she started by looking at, like physical therapists. And uh, I like, I was a former athlete. I think you were a former athlete, yep, Nick. Like yep. we both been to physical therapy and we know it's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's definitely this dynamic of like, in order to have a patient feel better, like you have to hurt them yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, So depending on kind of the severity of the illness or the injury. And so uh, she like noted that like, the humor was so different there compared to some of the other settings she looked at because you know, like, it's, like essentially the patients were like, oh man, you're the devil. This is, you're like a slave driver. This is yeah. horrible. And it's like their way to kind of complain. And the provider can either kind of push back on that and be like, oh, I'll suck it up. You're fine. And like, it's totally like an openly joking situation, Um, but it still can be something that can register in your brain as opposed to saying like, please don't, you know, like begging and like, it's, it's a kind of a face saving way to do that. And so I think that's why it's interesting in, in yeah. healthcare settings. And then she looked at like a breast care center. So women going in to get a, a mammogram, which is, you know, in order to get a mammogram, you have to place your breasts on, on this kind of platform thing and, the the camera comes down and kind of squishes the breast, spreads it out so you can see the tissue and women were expressing their fear and their kind of embarrassment of being, first of all, naked in, in, in that way and saying like, oh, there's not there's not very much to put in there or something like that or saying like, are you sure that this like machine isn't going to malfunction and like squish me permanently yeah. in here? And, and it was like a way for them to kind of test the waters and if the provider just kind of laughs it off, then they know it's like, okay, I'm, I'm obviously just like exaggerating things here, right? Like I'm totally fine. And so... Um, and versus like this kind of long term, like uh, patient, like um, family practice unit where you had, you know, a, a it's kind of an internist seeing patients all the way from, you know, six months or six weeks to, you know, 80 years old or whatever. And you could maybe have a relationship for a long time with this provider. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot more joking there about family, about friends, about things unrelated to illness. And, yeah. Um, and But that was definitely a way of building Rapport and getting to know a person beyond like their physical symptoms. Yeah,
0: incredible. Yep. Totally tracking the mm-hmm. the flow of you know with humor and obviously this is all within a certain amount of guidelines and mm-hmm. threshold. But with humor, as humor rises, tension can decrease, mm-hmm. and there is already inherently a lot of tension around anything to do with the hospital mm-hmm. illness, especially cancer. Especially so, as humor gets entered into that situation, that helps bring some of that tension down. The reason why. A doctor, nurse, etc., can establish more rapport with the patient is because, like you said, to use humor has some endearing qualities about it. Of course, if Mm -hmm. used appropriately, so you've got Mm -hmm. these this powerful combination of humor decreasing the tension of an already tense situation, and the person using it having some endearing qualities about them for using it. Hence, the rapport gets built and better experience for the patient if used appropriately. Sure,
1: and think about you know as a patient like. You know, going to see a doctor, we might expect like our traditional expectation of what a doctor is, is like Mm -hmm. maybe like a serious stoic, like, you know, white guy in his 60s or something like that. Right. And you can very easily break that and make a patient seem like a little bit more at ease just by kind of having joking about something related to the illness and not obviously in a way that is you never want to use humor in a way that would detract from this kind of patient. Uh, better patient outcomes and yeah, better relational outcomes. And the name of the book is, I, I thought you were talking about the other thing that that just came out, but the 1988 book was Humor and the Healing Hearts by Athena Dupre. Humor and the Healing Hearts. Mm-hmm. Anthony Dupre. She's a professor at University of West Florida. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Humor in the Healing yeah,
1: Hearts. It's definitely like my... Uh, healing arts. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely like my academic crush.
0: That's a, sure. amazing. Yeah. Where else has your humor research journey taken you and what have you been finding or what are you learning?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I can kind of talk quickly about the thing that just came out. Um, so like I mentioned, responding to a healthcare provider's story about, um, about a situation in which they use humor or a patient used humor and it worked really well. And so I didn't have much experience writing about like therapy and the one I was assigned to, I just kind of volunteered through my name into the hat to write for this book. And the editors gave me this narrative about um, a person, a guy who he does uh, in-home family therapy, right? So he uh, deals a lot with families who have children who maybe have had trouble with the law, that kind of thing. And um, in order to maybe get a reduced sentence or to maybe they're like court-appointed in some ways, they have to have um, a, a therapist kind of come in and, and help address some of these root issues. And so. I think they had uh, it was as a mom and two kids and the father had committed suicide maybe 10 years before. And the kids were um, starting to get into some 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 legal issues, um, property damage, that kind of stuff. And uh, the the therapist wrote about he's like, it's awkward whenever you go to a person's house, you're like invading their space. Um, You know, a lot of times you have a family who's either on their total best behavior or like very clearly doesn't want you there. And he said immediately once he walked in, he met these two kids and the kids like were proudly showing off their like weapons. They had like nunchucks and like samurai swords and just like the mom was like so embarrassed. And he's like, I just like couldn't help but laugh. Like I did not know how else to respond. And I think he just he knew that that would have been taken totally fine. Yeah. Um, Because he just got a sense that like these people were being their true authentic selves. And it's like this was the first time that he'd ever seen that in a patient's because he's like. You know, he's so used to being looked at as this invader or something. And so uh, he laughed and it, he started to like see the crack, like the ice start to crack immediately, like kind of early. The mom was still like super embarrassed. Yeah. Came back later and, um, you know, maybe in a, at a later setting, the family had had a really bad day for whatever reason. And he looks down and the, 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 the mom is like, the dog was like humping the, 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 the therapist's leg. And the mom's like mortified. And again, he's like, I, he just like had to laugh. He's like, I, I can't not laugh at this. I yeah. have to be my own true self too. And that like made him look human in their eyes too. Yeah. And like somebody that I, that they could trust. And then a third situation, the, they were telling us, the kids were telling a story about how the kid had to go to the bathroom and he couldn't go anywhere else. And so he was basically urinating over the side of this, this, their, their porch outside or their deck. And, and this time the mom was laughing along with them and like, he's like, I really feel like this family, we, you know, we helped find the root issues of whatever they were dealing with. We were on kind of the road to wellness because he's like, because they felt free enough to use humor in front of me and I felt free enough to acknowledge it. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I loved writing about that story and um, I'm really glad I got to sign that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you said mm-hmm. something that stuck out to me in mm-hmm. that, in uh, what you said, isn't that, um, when when you share a genuine laugh with someone, mm-hmm. there is something very vulnerable about that. That is really interesting. What I don't know. What's your take? What's going on there? A gen like obviously a fake laugh is a fake laugh. You can spot that. But sure. a genuine laugh, especially with a stranger, there's like this unsaid, unseen connection almost.
1: Right, and I I think that's a, it's a really important to note that like a lot of this humor that people are like that like researchers like me are most interested in are not these like canned like jokes like someone coming in and saying oh do you know that like diarrhea is, diarrhea is genetic yeah it runs in your genes like okay how many times have you told that one before like that's okay it has nothing to do with what i'm currently feeling just yeah. give me the doctor and give me my medicine and let me yeah but like it's it's i don't know i think you mentioned like just the fact that you can be vulnerable in, in front yeah. of somebody and like there is this remove and there is this barrier especially when you have somebody kind of on your turf and quote unquote judging you in yeah. some ways and like you know, I'm sure this family is like, oh man, this person's going to come in and think we're like this messed up family. And like, I'm sure the therapist is like, oh, this person's going to think that like, you know, like, like I don't want this person here because they're totally judging me and, and stuff like that. And so it, like you said, it just, I, I think it helps remove some of that distance yeah. in some ways. Um, and I don't know, I, I think it, we don't really get to show very many super like intense emotions around one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, laughter and, and humor is like an intense outpouring of emotion, but just like in a more positive
0: sense. Yes, yeah, true. Right? It is almost like the emotion that not easiest to show around a stranger, but it's the first one that's going to come out versus crying or, you know, other emotions. And like you said, so it's almost like this gateway into someone else at a deeper level. Sure.
1: Yeah. And it's like, so, I mean, it is also a form of stress. Like mm-hmm. it's stress, right. Which is, which is positive stress. And, you know, research has shown that can have a lot of different benefits for, you know, your your not only your psychology, but, you know, some research says it can have some some health benefits as well. I, I don't know if there, I don't know that research very well. I don't know if there's other variables at play or something like that. But like, yeah, it, it is like essentially getting that energy out in some way.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where are you going to take humor and the study of it and your research from here?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm actually getting ready to work on my summer project. Um is uh, with I'm teaming up with another uh, a journalism professor in, in my department at University of Michigan Dearborn, and um, I've been wanting to like explore different outlets instead of writing, right? And so um, I, I you do a lot of writing normally. I do a lot of writing, yeah. And I feel like that has a really limited audience in some ways because I have to be, um, I have to write for other scholars, and that's not why I wanted to do this, yeah. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm looking into ways to start to write for more, you know, general audiences. I don't want to read my stuff half the time, let alone anybody else. It's hard to get anyone to to read it other than my wife and my mom, <laughs> uh, because they're saints. But uh, but yeah, so um, this one I, I was wanted to. I've done some research with young adults uh, who've gone through cancer, so eighteen to thirty nine year olds who've gone through cancer experience. I, I think I talked in the last episode about how that was kind of my way into studying humor. Was I just saw that there was you know there was a Newsweek article or something that that talked about how young adults use humor differently than older cancer patients. And there's this kind of general generational divide, like I talked about before. And um, so I've been interested in, I've done probably close to 130 interviews over the last 10 years or so with young adult cancer patients and, and survivors and other advocates and stuff like that. And I just see this like deep appreciation in a lot of ways for humor and for humor that people would maybe sometimes consider caustic or sarcastic or aggressive and definitely not like, what we would see coming from like Susan G. Komen right now or American Cancer Society, that's a lot more kind of hope filled and for lack of a better word, kind of cheesy. Um, but like I said, I think millennials are aged a little bit more sarcastic in some yeah. ways. And it's just kind of been our coping mechanism, I think for generationally. Um, and, and you can see this, all over Instagram, the types of humor that are really popular and social media and that kind of stuff. But, um, so yeah, so just in these interviews, I've, I've seen like a deep appreciation for humor, a deep appreciation for sources uh, like on social media that use humor in this way. And so I'm working on a podcast, uh, long story short. Let's go. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, uh, not, nothing to compete with you, obviously, but no, it's just, it's just we'll gonna be a, it. yeah, it's it's gonna be, a, um, just kind of a limited run, like, yeah, six or seven episodes, just kind of taped more like a, um, like not like a, an interview sit down kind of thing, but something where I kind of mix together interviews and that kind of stuff. And so we'll, we'll have different episodes on, you know, where we talk to young adults about, um, you know, th- the ways in which they use humor, who they use it with, who they feel comfortable with, that kind of thing, examples, reasons yeah. why, um, but also looking at maybe some of the barriers, the, the, the ways in which humor can be, um, you know, I don't wanna say misused, but can maybe be covering up um, deeper issues that aren't being resolved in yep. some ways. Um, Which is one of the downsides, right? Not only do you have to feel kind of empowered to be able to use it, but some people do use it and don't and miss opportunities for connection or empathy, right? Uh, Using kind of like kind of keeping people at arm's length in some ways. Yeah. Um. I want to look at some of these very popular social media accounts. There's one called a cancer patient um, that has a couple people running. Basically, you have young adult cancer patients submitting memes um, that are really funny, and a lot of them are like very like current um, stuff. And it's, 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 um, it's, it's just like a really funny user generated kind of account that is super popular. Um, so I want to talk to people like that. There, there's um, one called thanks cancer and another one called, so a lot of it's like very sarcastic like that. Yeah. There's one called no grief, Tur- no, no grief tourists, which is, um, kind of a, an allusion to the, the lack of desire of people who, um, kind of jump on board the, you know, and, and to provide support even though they don't really, know the person very well yeah um it's kind of like rubber necking to a, to a degree but interview some of those people um there was actually a, a gilda gil radner um yep she's oh yeah on a Saturday Night live um died of ovarian cancer in the late 80s early 90s i think and uh she had a foundation that started in chicago and we have a chapter in green rapids we had one in detroit but the one in Grand rapids always does a laugh fest um so where they have uh comedians come and and it's a benefit for the for the organization that kind of stuff so I want to talk to people from there as well um and yeah so it's uh and then also I want to kind of compare the the use of humor in young adult cancer patients everyday lives with what's on TV and in movies wow so we have things like 5050 which was a 2011 movie with Seth Rogen and um that was it was really popular it was pretty highly acclaimed by young adults with cancer um there's shows like Alexa and Katie, which is on Netflix and was pretty popular. Um, a couple other ones I'm, I'm just not thinking of. Oh, Me, role and the Dying Girl. And, of course, um, oh, my gosh, why am I blanking? The um, one that was a very popular book. Fault couple, in Our Stars. Fault in Our Stars, yeah, yep. which has some yep. humor stuff in there. So um, we'll, we'll kind of take a, look, a deeper
0: look at that as well. Yeah, yeah. Man, there's totally a um, – like humor itself is a big spectrum, but there's mm-hmm. definitely – something fragile about the outskirts of that spectrum Mm -hmm. from I was only thinking of one standpoint and then your last comment made me realize man there's like multiple facets to this like first off how you use it there is definitely a spectrum of appropriate or inappropriate and then also you said something about how when someone else uses it picking up on if it's appropriate to laugh at it or to say hey hold on like there's a cue here there's actually a lot more going on and your use of that showed me that like, wow, that's wild.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting too, because everybody i talked to so far has like had instances in which, Oh yeah, this is, this was so funny. We still tell this story, but there are other times they're like, yeah, I tried to tell the story to somebody else and they like got real weirded out. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, I, I think that you raised a good point. Like if you're a person who, is trying to support someone who is going through a difficult time and you do notice a, a kind of a tinge of sadness or a tinge of unresolved issues there. I think it's still good to like to laugh at it and to still like go along with it, but maybe, you know, later you you kind of ask some follow-up questions there yeah. to kind of deepen that conversation. But I think if you if someone's genuinely trying to be funny and, and you don't laugh, that can maybe put the person off as well
0: yeah Yeah. incredible what are some of the other actionable takeaways that you've learned that you'd like to share for anyone who's on the support side or you know on the actual patient side around humor
1: sure and I I think this kind of just fits too with like especially people in our generation some ways we don't have that experience maybe supporting people who've gone through difficult stuff and so we sometimes walk on eggshells around people Um, we're not real sure how to act around them, and, and so don't I don't say
0: anything funny because yeah. like I don't know, even a littlest joke could be the wrong joke. Absolutely so. not. And
1: so sometimes you have like cancer patients like initiating this stuff, and like <laughs> you know maybe maybe you have a, a a female who's completely lost her hair and she wears gold hoop I- earrings to look like Mister Clean or that kind of <laughs> stuff. so they do this to kind of initiate that conversation. It's a kind of a bid for um bid to be treated normally or a bid to joke yeah. about it to tell other people, but. It's harder from the support perspective to know when to do that, um, so I think, in when possible, letting the kind of patient or the person who needs support to kind of initiate that, but also finding ways to continue to joke like you did before they mm-hmm. went through the experience that was so like, yeah change like like changing yeah, um, and that's kind of a good rule of thumb I think there.
0: With so much being about acceptance first rejection, I'm thinking as you're talking as well that there is something accepting about telling a joke and the person across from you laughing or someone laughing first and then you laughing with them feeling that acceptance, which is also really powerful too. Sure. Just, things about humor. I never even thought Absolutely.
1: about it's like it really interesting. It's like a, not only like a way to kind of get out in front and like the self-deprecation, like get out in front of this stuff that like I know other people are going to think is weird. So like changes in appearance, changes in bodily function, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but also just like doing it as a way to signal, okay, I'm in this group and these people are not. And so a lot of times you see supporters, like, in patients making fun of other supporters who, like, don't get it, right? And so, like, that's a way to, like, you know, humor is always, like, usually about putting people in a group and keeping other people out to some degree. Like, you're making fun of one group or whatever. And um, so that happens a lot. And, um, And also just, like, there's just this irony in, like, being, especially with cancer, like, you're now a member of this club that you like don't want to be in like you've never thought you wanted to be in. But, um, so a lot of times people use humor, like all this, like the cancer patient, like Instagram, so many inside jokes that you would only get if you had had this experience. Yeah. And so it's just this, like this form of identification and like, um, expression of genuality. Like, like it's not like a sanitized look at cancer in some Mm -hmm. ways. It's like the only way we can talk about this stuff that really sucked about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The real details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, before we wrap up, um, humor. What else do we need to know from your research? What do you wish more people knew that we don't know about it? And were you excited to to take just humor itself from here in your work? Yeah,
1: I don't know, and I, and I think I realize that I'm totally biased here because I've always just like loved, uh, especially in dealing with stories of tragedy. I've always been attracted more to the stories that have elements of humor in them as opposed to just being kind of pummeling like devastation over and over again and just I, I just kind of get allergic to the the sentimentality of that um, so I'm interested in just kind of the personal differences in some ways like who are the people who are attracted to to these types of stories versus yeah. others I know there's been a lot of um, interest in my field in persuasion research and using like um, especially like for, for PSAs or to get people to change their behaviors whether it's you know uh, texting and driving or you know uh, d- drunk driving or even getting a vaccine or something like that and looking at kind of the effects of well is a, is a narrative more powerful than facts first of all and then is a funny narrative more power or more por- more powerful than like a sincere or like mm-hmm. scary narrative yeah and so I think just kind of from a, like a message design standpoint like I'm, I've always just been really interested in like okay so what does a funny story about illness do that a study that doesn't maybe use yeah. or the story that maybe doesn't use humor and there's nothing wrong with that it's, it's just a subjective thing that like I, like I said, a person like me prefers but what do other people prefer and why yeah
0: are you going to be able to get to that end state of like mapping out a good story and ex- like this is where you need to insert humor in a good story and actually this is the story map for someone who's sick and this is what i recommend on how you tell a story and where you put the humor
1: that's so interesting yeah and that's um that, that's something that can definitely be done. I have always started kind of as a qualitative researcher where I kind of believe that people are, I'm interested in everyone's like experience, right? But then to do that, you kind of have to flip it on its head and think, well, people are all alike in some way, right? In order yeah. to have a, a story that's like 80% effective or something, like we have to operate on the assumption that everybody's similar. And so mm-hmm. it's like a different way of thinking for me that um, I would love to, to, to start looking
0: at, yeah. Interesting things. Mm-hmm. What percentage of your overall research gets to be focused on humor versus, I don't know, other things right now. Yeah. Uh,
1: so right now, it's it's not as much as I'd, I'd like because I have a couple other kind of standing commitments, but it's, it's nice because there's always an element, um, especially maybe because I'm dealing with young people who are going through illness. There's always an element of humor in, in pretty much everything I've, I've, I've looked
0: at. So yeah. Far. Yeah. Think. Do you think you'll get to a place where you almost might write your own script for a movie or book, fiction, or something at some point? Interesting. I... I that is
1: not an, a muscle of really exercised enough. Yeah. I've always been like a huge appreciator of stories. Um, I've only taken a couple like creative writing classes in either high school or college, but um, I don't know. I've always been more of like like analyzing why it works or why it doesn't. Uh-huh. But that's a really good question. I don't know. I feel like
0: you've got yeah. all the pieces brewing over there for the next Fault in Our Stars yeah, or know. something epic there. So. I don't know. Yeah keep us posted. Yeah. Well, I will, I will sign up along with you saying, you said your wife and your mom who read all your stuff. <laughs> I will sign up for that short list Thanks. of people that will read the draft and provide feedback. Sounds good.
1: Yeah. Hopefully you, uh, you know, if you have trouble sleeping that that can maybe help you yeah, take it. nap. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, yeah.
0: I'm going to give you the mic to wrap it up. Take us home. Final thoughts. Sure. Yeah. So, um,
1: I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, I just remember being really inspired by my, by my grandma, um, Who's th- thankfully still living? She's 87 years old and doing great. And um, I-, I lived with her for about a year of my time when my family was between houses. And during that time, she was going through colorectal cancer. And I just still like I'm very grateful for her because I think she was another person in my life who really showed me the the importance of humor. She's the kind of person who never takes things very seriously, and um, she still tells stories that are. Funny about this really kind of stressful and dark time. It affected. I was nine years old and it affected me in ways that I don't think I even realized at the time. But uh, I just still remember this story that she told. Where, um, you know, so she, she was in the like, the waiting room before like an intestinal intestinal X ray, and she is obsessed with Seinfeld. She still loves it. She still watches the reruns before she goes to sleep, and she like wanted to write this. Speaking of writing a script, she wanted to write a script of or like pitch the story. Like as if she was like a Seinfeld writer or something like uh of like Elaine maybe having to go in and get like some sort of like scan done and you know how sometimes when you have to drink is maybe this was I'm not sure how, how often people have to do this still but you have to drink that like chalky white barium swallow thing to enable to do the test and she talked about this time where she talked to this woman when they were just kind of sitting there drinking their 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 drink and this woman had a milk mustache with the barium swallow and she's like i so want to just write a script about elaine having to do that and like um and I, I just think like her ability to find the a humorous twist around this like kind of quiet tension of you know you, she had to have been feeling nervous about the scans and the results and stuff like yeah. that and kind of the uncertain status mm-hmm. of her condition in general it's just like i don't know i think there was just something really powerful in that if you're that type of person like how that can kind of speak truth to some of your insecurities but in ways that might be empowering for someone else.
0: Awesome. I love it. What do you think we title this episode? Now that we've had the conversation, we don't, we didn't have a title before, but I'm going to go, you know, get this ready for publishing and obviously anyone hearing it now has already seen the title, but they're going to hear how the title was born. So I'm actually going to let you title it and that's what I'm going to put.
1: What should we call it? You are putting me on the spot. I,
0: I totally am. I did not prep Nick <laughs> for this question, but I am uh, talking with lots of words right now as he collects his thought, looks to the sky, yeah. looks down at his notes. But but yeah, so, w- what do you think?
1: I think one of my favorite, so I, I can't believe this got published. So I was really glad about it, but uh, I wrote, wrote a piece about young adults and how they use blogs to kind of tell yeah. stories about their experience. And one of the lines just like killed me. And I, I used it for my title and I couldn't believe it, it stayed. And it's called... Uh, but my insides feel like Keith Richards' face. <laughs> yeah, the guitars for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and so um, I don't know. Maybe we can use that one again. <laughs> I got nothing original, but um. That is yeah. hilarious, yeah.
0: and I am going to write that awesome. in title. Yeah, her name uh, is
1: Kaylin Anders, and um, she was the author. She's she's a great. She had a incredible. blog called uh, "Cancer is Hilarious." Wow. Um. So
0: yeah. I will make mm-hmm. sure we credit Kaylin uh, yep. mm-hmm. in uh, in the show notes for mm-hmm. sure, um, and. You know, thanks for listening. If you're still with us mm-hmm. uh, for my insides, feel like Keith Richards' <laughs> face. And now you know exactly where that title came from. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't before, now mm-hmm. you do. Uh, but Nick, thanks for, for coming today, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, Nick. thanks yeah. for being here. Uh, great conversation it. on yeah. humor and can't wait for, for what's to come for you, your awesome. research. And we're just really excited to be able to promote it, talk about it, and, and learn from it. Cool, so man. thank you very thank much for so that. And thank all of you for listening. Uh, we hope you had a great time. And the world is round. We'll meet again.